Welcome to another episode of The Solar Podcast. Today, Dave is talking with Brian Whaler, President and CEO of Arm Group. They discuss some of the Arm Group's most exciting projects to date, including the 18-megawatt Annapolis Landfill Solar Project. They also discuss cutting through the red tape of permitting and zoning, as well as the future of community solar. So let's get right into it on The Solar Podcast. Well, we'd like to welcome everyone back to the Solar Podcast. I'm Dave Amberson, the host. We're thrilled to have with us today Brian Whaler. Brian is actually an executive in the solar industry. He has his own engineering firm, does uh, more than that. We're going to dive into it a little bit today. One of the things we talk a lot about on the Solar Podcast are the soft costs of solar and how do we can make it simpler uh, for consumers to go solar. So I'm actually uh, really excited to talk with Brian, get his perspective on those things as well. Brian, welcome. And I'd love if you wouldn't mind for our listeners to give a little bit of an introduction about uh, how you ended up being who you are and where you are in the solar industry today. I'd love to get just a little bit of a background on your journey. Yeah, sure. Thanks, Dave. Appreciate you having me on the podcast. Um, so yeah, I'm Brian Whaler, um, work for Arm Group. Uh, we're a environmental consulting and civil engineering firm based in Hershey, Pennsylvania. Uh, we have about 220 employees across 14 offices. And uh, I've been with the company now for about 20 years. And um, I guess my origins uh, go back to, to uh, the early days of uh, growing up. And uh, my father was a geologist and uh, he worked for an environmental consulting firm. So I was exposed to this world at a pretty young age and took an interest to uh, geology and environmental science in particular and um, pursued that with my uh, education after high school and got a degree in geology and, and environmental science. Uh, and then I had the good fortune of coming to work for Arm Group uh, right out of college and got involved in a number of projects at the time, um, very uh, diverse types of uh, environmental projects. But there was an engineering component to a number of those projects, and it sparked my interest in uh, engineering and uh, made me realize that um, I could probably do more if I could combine the geology degree with an engineering degree. So I went back to school, uh, picked up a, a second bachelor's in civil engineering, and um, since that time, you know, I've been able to integrate uh, those uh, you know, educational uh, experiences into my career, um, which really began uh, working on solid waste projects. So landfill engineering was uh, a lot of what I was doing initially when I joined uh, Arm Group after going back to school. Um, and I was uh, doing geotechnical engineering and solid waste engineering. And that's really what introduced me to the renewable space. So I was working on projects at landfill sites and, um, you know, we were getting involved in landfill gas to energy projects. And, um, some of those clients were, began to ask us, what else can we do with these facilities? We have these gas to energy projects. We have these interconnections, uh, we're selling electricity, renewable energy. What else can we do? So we started getting involved in wind energy projects and eventually solar projects. And this is in the late 2000s. Um, and so that's really what 
allowed me and our company to to cut our teeth in the renewable space. And then from there, you know, we really focused hard on the renewable market as it began to mature. Um, and, you know, since that time, you know, it's really taken off and I, I'm currently uh, leading our renewable energy practice for our group. That's excellent. So um, is, I, I thought I caught that you said you'd been with the business for 14 years. No, it's uh, 20 years. 20 years. Okay. That's excellent. Yeah. So 20 years you've been doing this. And uh, more recently, your focus has been shifted towards the renewables practices. So that's the wind and the solar. What's the typical size of a project that you're working on as part of the ARM group? Yes, we work on projects really of all sizes. I would say, you know, the smallest that we get involved with is maybe a 500 kW solar project. And we've worked on projects as large as uh, 300 megawatts uh, in the solar space. Uh, we we don't do a lot of wind energy work now. Um, the majority of our focus is on solar, but we still um, do work on some wind energy projects from time to time. And what percentage of of Arm Group's practice focuses on renewables specifically? You mean in terms of the the overall business? Right. Yeah, you'd mentioned 220 employees, and you're obviously leading the environmental side of the, or the, or rather the the renewables portion of the business. I mean, is that becoming uh, a significant portion of Arm's overall work? It is. Yeah, it's uh, currently our fastest growing um, business unit in the company, and um, I would say it comprises uh, 10 to 15 percent of our overall business but that is uh, growing rapidly. Yeah, if you wouldn't mind, I'd love to, if you could give us a, a sense on some of the maybe projects that you're particularly proud of or excited about that you guys have worked on as part of the ARM group or projects that you've been a part of. Are there any that are notable or stick out to you? Yeah, there's quite a few that we've worked on that are uh, pretty interesting and ones that, that we're especially proud of. Um, you know, one is the... Uh, landfill solar project in Annapolis, Maryland. Um, that was a 18 megawatt project on a uh, closed landfill. And uh, we did all the uh, the civil and environmental uh, design work uh, for that project. And as you may or may not know, with <clears throat> those types of projects, you get into a, a lot of uh, unique challenges, especially technically um, in terms of protecting the integrity of the cap system, um, making sure that you're um, not uh, causing any damage to the cap and that the methane gas emissions are not going to be a problem for you. And then working closely with the regulators to get those projects through the permitting process can also be challenging. So that's one project that, that comes to mind, I, I would say. You know, that's one thing about Arm Group that I think is uh, somewhat different from some of our competitors is that we uh, we work on these more challenging sites all the time. So those are the ones that we like to get involved with um, because they're not the cookie cutter projects where you may just have, a you know, an open field. Um, you know, these require multidisciplinary teams. You know, we get geotechnical engineers environmental engineers, solid waste engineers. Um, and, you know, we really need all of that expertise uh, in order to make those projects successful. 
Um, you know, here in, here in Pennsylvania, where I'm located, um, there's also been a lot of historical mining activity. Um, Pennsylvania, you know, was one of the largest coal producing states for many years, and, and maybe it still is. Uh, but as a result, there's a lot of projects being developed on uh, abandoned mine lands and historically mine sites, and, and we've worked on a number of those. And, um, you know, they come with their own set of challenges, uh, but it's very rewarding to turn those sites into, uh, you know, clean energy production facilities, because a lot of times those were kind of blighted sites that were an environmental liability and to be part of converting those into an environmental asset uh, is is definitely very fulfilling and something that that i like to be part of yeah so a, a lot of what we focus on on the solar podcast is the residential side of the business and many of our listeners that's what their focus is on obviously the majority of your career at least as of late has been more focused on like the cni or the commercial and industrial the larger projects uh, but I'd love to get your perspective and take. So something that we talked um, extensively about is the soft costs for solar in the United States are artificially inflating our costs relative to other markets like Europe, for example, like Australia, for example, where you can get solar projects done for, um, in the case of Australia, for as much as little as a third. Uh, in fact, they're installing uh, at the residential level for similar for costs that would be similar to multi megawatt projects here in the United States. And so I'd love to get your perspective since you sit in the middle um, and you're the one that's dealing with uh, the red tape, at least on the CNI side. What's your perspective on the regulations that exist in solar? Do you think that they're too strict? Do you think that they're fair? What would be some improvements that you'd like to see happen uh, from your perspective uh, and in, uh, given your experience uh, working on these sorts of projects? Yeah, that's that's a great question. Um you know the the permitting hurdles are definitely a uh, challenge on a lot of these projects, and uh, and create you know delays and and add to the costs. Um, you know I guess overall, you know we're we're able to navigate that process pretty effectively, and we do everything we can to to try to minimize the costs. Um, you know one of the areas that that is always a, a challenge, especially with ground mount systems, is um, you know the environmental permitting, the stormwater requirements, the um, NIPDES uh, requirements that are associated with those projects, and um, some of those can be pretty onerous. And it seems like it's getting more and more that way, um, where there's you know prescriptive requirements based on the coverage area or the slopes that um, don't necessarily allow for, you know, innovative designs to uh, address those concerns. So that's one area that, that comes to mind. Um, you know, the other, the biggest challenge that, that we're seeing now is the, the interconnection process and, um, you know, the delays associated with that. Yeah, and how involved do you, does your firm get on the interconnection side of the business, or what 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 role or part do you play in that? Yeah, we're pretty active in that area. Um, we have an we have an electrical engineering team in house, so uh, we're we're involved 
on the front end of a lot of projects in terms of preparing interconnection applications, developing you know single line diagrams, um, working with the utility or, or PJM and taking those through the process. So uh, yeah, we have a we play a very active role in that, and um, yeah, unfortunately, it it seems like that process, even outside of PJM, is uh, taking longer and longer. And I think it's just a function of the utilities getting flooded with uh, lots of applications for projects uh, because the demand is, has been growing, and it's hard for them, I think, to keep up with that demand and to hire enough people to review the projects. So that, that's very much a challenge that we're seeing that's not necessarily getting better. Yeah, staying on the point of interconnection and some of the, again, what I would call bureaucratical or the red tape stuff that you have to do as part of any solar project, what are some uh, improvements that you'd like to see our industry make to make the process of getting and going solar and adding these renewable projects uh, to either streamline the process or to help get some of those costs down to make it even more viable and more affordable? Yeah. Um, one one area would be zoning, zoning reform. Um, that is a challenge for a lot of projects um, because, you know, solar is not either a permitted use in a given zoning district or requires some type of special exception or zoning variance. So, I think something that would really help would be for some zoning reform that would maybe standardize the process or allow for solar to be installed, you know, in a broader um, footprint, so to speak, where, um, you know, you're not restricted as much as you are today uh, from putting solar, you know, in a lot of places. And then having to jump through all the hurdles and hoops that that go along with uh, getting those permissions. Yeah. So having never gone through that practice, um, you know, what is the counter argument or the steel man argument that one would make for having uh, restrictions on this the zoning and and why the zoning restricts solar from being um, installed as a, or a, a, as a, as a permitted use in, in many areas. What, what, what would be the counter argument that people make is, or to try to justify why that is the case? Yeah. I mean, some of it is, is just kind of the NIMBY argument, um, you know, that people don't want to have it in their backyard or they don't want to have to look at it. Um, or they prefer to look at you know, whatever's there now, which might be an open, you know, greenfield space or, or whatever. Um, so, you know, those seem to be, you know, some of the uh, opposition, uh, the basis for the opposition that we run into. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of people, especially here in Pennsylvania, that don't like to see these projects being constructed on um, agricultural land. Uh, so there's, you know, a desire to preserve the, uh, the agricultural land for agricultural purposes. Um, so that, that certainly, you know, presents a hurdle and, and creates opposition. Yeah. Outside of the fact that it just has created a lot of demand, uh, has the Inflation Reduction Act changed in any way substantively the way that you guys go about uh, um, the engineering side of the business for this commercial and industrial Part of solar? Um, not yet. It has not 
really changed the way we we go about it. Um, I think it's you know already driving a lot of demand, um, as you mentioned. But um, I think what it's going to do once the uh, final rules get written is it's going to incentivize the development of projects on more distressed sites. Um, you know, the I think the whole energy communities uh, designation is still being defined, but as I understand it, you know, it's it's geared to incentivize projects in areas that were historically used for fossil fuel development. And um, as a result, you know, I think it's going to encourage the development of projects on some of these more distressed sites, I'll call them, um, which I, you know, I think is a good thing, really. And it also is going to create projects in areas where maybe there's not as much economic activity and will, you know, help support local economies. Yeah, some things that are certainly going to change on these large-scale projects is certainly that where we build these this this the, these distressed sites, as you had talked about it. Um, there's the other component for the CNI groups that have to talk a lot of, or think a lot about prevailing wages. So anything over a megawatt now, um, how you employ people and the wages that you pay are going to change. Uh, it does open up some additional incentives, and so hopefully those costs are curbed. Uh, for to not make development projects more expensive. And then the last part is the domestic content piece. So, you know, using the domestic content also um, opens up the opportunity for um, increased or additional um, subsidies or rebates for these, uh, for these large projects. And, and I would imagine that some of your projects are probably in a holding pattern a little bit, waiting for some of the rulings around these things to, to be finalized um, so that these... CNI groups or large development groups can make their final decisions in terms of what product they want to use and and how and when and where they're they're going to put these projects. Have, have you seen any of that or in conversations with some of your partners? Or are you seeing uh, some of these projects being delayed or held up, waiting for some of those rulings? Yeah, we haven't seen any of the projects that we've been involved relating what they like and you know how to take advantage of those and. Um, but yeah, we, we haven't seen it, um, you know, hold things back, but um, everyone is, is certainly eager to uh, understand the fine print and figure out, you know, what it all means and how you qualify for these ITC adders. Yeah. And, and so obviously the Inflation Reduction Act is great in terms of like increasing uh, uh, the amount of demand and the amount of projects that developers want to work on. Uh, which, which is, I think is great for our industry. What are some other things that keep you excited or have make you excited about the industry and, and future growth opportunities or places where you'd like to see our industry go? Well, you know, I, that's an interesting question. Um, you know, we're, we're excited about what's happening now. And, um, you know, there's, there's so much activity. There's a, a ton of projects happening. It gives work to uh, looking forward uh, that is exciting to me is the potential for community solar um, to become uh, law here in Pennsylvania. Uh, there's there's a ton of projects that are out there that are basically in a holding pattern, uh, waiting for some type of legislation to go through. So that's you know an area uh, that that we pay close attention to, and you know we're very hopeful that that will will happen sometime in the next year or two. Um, but on, on top of that, you know, 
we are doing more work with uh, battery storage on these projects. So that's, you know, an area where, where I see additional growth. But, um, you know, we're really just scratching the surface. I, I think, you know, in Pennsylvania, there's still less than 1% of the electricity is generated from solar, at least the last time I checked. So there's tremendous, you know, growth potential. And, um, you know, it's exciting to be part of that. And I, I think that could continue. We've talked a little bit about the permitting and we've talked a little bit about the interconnection, but maybe if you wouldn't mind diving into uh, your company or arm group's contribution towards trying to keep costs down or cost reduction methods or innovative installation practices and how much of your practices center around those sorts of things. Yeah, I mean, we, we certainly play a role in that. And, you know, one of the areas that, you know, we can help with cost reductions is on the design side, um, in particular with our constructability reviews of the projects. Um, so, you know, now that we've been developing uh, projects and developing designs uh, for the solar industry for a number of years, we've seen a number of projects go through the full life cycle from inception through design permitting and construction. And so we've been able to um, you know, see what actually happens when these projects get built and what works well and what doesn't work as well. Uh, we've been able to get a lot of feedback from the contractors that are building these projects, what they like, what they dislike. So we've been able to apply that knowledge to our designs and our permitting efforts to, you know, help streamline those designs. Number one, it helps avoid change orders because we've thought about everything that, that needs to be thought about up front. And um, number two, you know, we've tried to develop designs that are um, efficient, that can be installed cost-effectively. Um, one example would be with our, our stormwater uh, management designs. Uh, we're really focused on, on low-impact designs. Uh, so rather than, you know, having to construct large basins or other costly uh, features, you know, we tend to use um, low, low impact, low profile um, infiltration type features to manage stormwater on projects. So that's, you know, one area where we're able to help our customers save money and um, help expedite construction, avoid change orders. I think the other thing is that we have a, an integrated design team. So, you know, many times we're doing the uh, civil design, we're doing the structural design, the electrical design, um, all in-house. So our engineers are working together, um, which I just think makes, makes for a better process. And it allows us to identify potential problems or conflicts you know, in the design phase rather than during construction. Because when that doesn't happen, what what often occurs is that you have one firm prepare the, the civil plans, maybe another firm does the, the racking or the structural design, another firm does the electrical, um, and then you bring those all together at the time to build, and you find out, oh, well, there's a conflict here, we didn't think about that. And um, that can create a lot of challenges. So kind of that, that integrated process on the design side, I think, can be very helpful and can avoid uh, problems down the road. Yeah, you mentioned the stormwater collection. I'd be curious, given the amount of time you've been working on these sorts of projects, 
what other uh, really fascinating engineering or innovations or installation practices you've seen that have uh, been really cost reducing and things that have made these projects a lot more viable and better, uh, you know, in, in your time of working on these things? Yeah, I'd have to put some more thought into that um, as far as like what else can help drive down the costs. I, I really think a lot of it is in the, in the design phase and just really trying to optimize the design and make it as efficient as you possibly can. So, you know, one of the ways that we do that is we do our designs in, in 3D. Um, so we're really looking at the topography and we're looking closely at the row spacing and we're looking at, you know, shading impacts and how can we really optimize this site to get the most uh, solar generation out of the least amount of space. Because uh, obviously land is not cheap and if you can pack more in to a smaller space, you know, you're saving money and you're saving land and it's a much more efficient design. So that's, you know, one of the things that we've been doing. You know, we also look pretty hard at the AC to DC ratio, uh, row spacing, and we use some software to help us optimize that design. So to take a lot of the guesswork out of that, um, you're you're really developing the most efficient design from a return on investment standpoint when you're factoring in those key variables. So that's that's an area where we we focus pretty hard, um, which you know that wasn't happening I would say routinely even a few years ago. Um, so I think those are some important advancements. They're not necessarily the sexiest ones, um, but they um, they really have a they can have a significant effect on the bottom line. So it's it's become a pretty popular topic of conversation amongst the largest companies, and, and as companies try to understand, you know, what their own ESG goals are going to be, their environmental, their social, and their corporate governance goals are. And ESG as an acronym gets floated around a lot. So what contribution or what's your role that you play with some of these projects and with these companies in terms of helping them reach their ESG goals, or is that something you guys focus on at all? Yeah, so our, our role in that is really to help attack the E portion of the ESG. And, um, you know, our focus has really been on the uh, emissions reductions through the development of customer generator um, renewable projects. So that has very much been a, a driver of business um, for us and our, our customers. You know, many of them at least are are focused on ESG and are looking to, um, you know, do better. And um, so to the extent that we can help them through the development of renewable energy projects, that's really where we come in. Well, given your background and the amount of work that you've put in, I know it's mostly been on the CNI side. One concept that's been floated around a lot um, about uh, is this idea of a standardized permitting process or being able to use a similar plan set for multiple uh, you know, essentially pulling one permit for multiple projects. Um, it's uh, it's a practice that's used in Europe. It's used um, in some places on the residential side where yeah, you can use a single um, permit for multiple projects or there's no permit required at all. Is that something you've thought about or is that something you think could work for the types of projects you're working on or is that just a dream that's probably not going to come to fruition? Yeah, that's that's interesting. I, I haven't really uh, considered that before, but... Um... I think, you know, in the CNI space, it, it's hard for me to imagine that happening, um, you know, here here in the U.S., or at least in the mid-Atlantic region. 
Um, and you know, the site conditions can just be so different from one site to the next, um, that, you know, it really requires careful analysis and consideration, um, for, for each site. So I don't know, as I, as I sit here, you know, it's hard for me to imagine that maybe for rooftop applications, you know, there could be a more streamlined process, but for rooftops, you really don't typically need to do a lot of permitting. I mean, you get, once you get through the zoning, uh, process, you know, then you're just talking about building permits. So it's typically not all, all that onerous. Yeah. So I, I understand that, uh, you're also a pilot. Is that correct? Yes. So have you ever, uh, used your, uh, and I think it's a hobby for the most part, your, uh, your flying. Have you ever used it as an excuse to go check out some of the areas that you're surveying or uh, to do flyovers of some of the projects that you've worked on? Yeah. Yeah, I have. Um, it's a great way to get a bird's eye view um, of a site or, or a project. And um, yeah, I try to take that opportunity whenever I can. Yeah. So I know you followed in your father's footstep chasing, a, you know, with, with engineering. Any Do you, do you feel like you have any, uh, of you, uh, are there any young whalers out there that are going to follow in your footsteps, maybe be the next people that are working in the armed group? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, at this point, <laughs> It doesn't look like it, but, um, you know, anything's possible. Uh, but, uh, as of now, the kids are pursuing different interests unrelated to science and engineering. So, um, it's, it's not likely, but, uh, I won't rule it out. Yeah. Well, Brian, I got to tell you, I, I, I genuinely appreciate what you do for our industry. It's fantastic that there are organizations and firms like yours that are out there that are working to facilitate and make these projects happen. Um, and for the, you know, for a lot of the times it's fighting the good fight with the local jurisdictions that in a lot of instances aren't super excited about having these projects built. And I think it's just a requirement for uh, our society. It's a requirement for our country that we can move more towards these renewables. You'd mentioned in Pennsylvania, you're maybe at only 1% penetration and, and there are states obviously doing a lot better than that. But, uh, uh, we love anyone that's working on solving the problems of making solar simpler and easier. Uh, so thank you for your contribution that you're making there. And, and genuinely, we, re we appreciate you coming on the Solar Podcast to explain and help us understand a little bit about what you do and uh, help us understand ARM Group's con contribution to that as well. Well, thanks for having me, Dave. I enjoyed the dialogue and appreciate being here. Yeah, yeah. Fantastic conversation. We'd love to continue to follow the ARM Group and what you guys are working on. I'm sure that there are some really cool projects, maybe facilitated by the IRA, maybe just because you guys have established yourselves as as a, um, an incredible firm in the industry, but I'm sure that there are some really cool projects that are uh, to be worked on that we'd love to follow up with you and hear more about. Absolutely. Great. Thank you, Brian. Yep. Thank you.